0: Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss.
0: Hello, and welcome to Dark Routine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me this week is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol.
2: Hello, the temp is back.
0: Yeah, and we were talking. um, We're going to try and shake it up a bit, and I think the only consistent thing is probably just going to be me. (laughs) We'll have other guests and co-hosts and those kind of things, but Carol will be here a lot.
2: That sounds good. Anything can change for any reason at any time, so say the Buddhists, so we're rolling with it.
0: We have definitely learned to roll with things. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine.
2: Bon appétit.
0: Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained, mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. In November of 1992 a 24-year-old woman came forward to accuse a respected local doctor of sexual assault. After years of ridicule from other Kipling, Saskatchewan residents who could not believe her claims, the woman finally found some justice. When the truth saw the light, it uncovered one of the strangest and most devious criminals in Canadian history. You are listening to Dark Poutine, episode 152, Bloody Lies. The Crimes of Dr. John Schneeberger. Have you heard of this one?
2: I did because I cheated a little bit. I was reading over your shoulder when you were doing your homework. Oh. But I couldn't stop paying attention because it was so, like, what did he do? It's crazy. Yeah, the story is um, amazing.
0: We've chosen not to identify the main victim in the story and we'll refer to her only as Carmen She identifies herself fully in years-old documentaries on the case, so it's easy for you to find out if you're compelled to do so, but we're not going to do that. Canadian law protects the identities of victims of crime, and we wish to respect that. Many of the details of the crime itself come from court documents and Carmen's later statements. We provide a trigger warning here, as the story we are about to impart describes sexual assault and its aftermath in detail.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Named after author Rudyard Kipling, Kipling, Saskatchewan, is a small town of just over a thousand people about 150 kilometers east of the province's capital. Regina. What? You're making a funny face.
2: No, you just said Regina like a question mark. Regina?
0: (laughs) As with many of the prairie towns we've talked about, Kipling has its own odd little claim to fame outside this case from their website. The town of Kipling has also received its certificate from Guinness for building the world's largest paperclip, which stands in our lovely Bell Park at 6th Avenue. The Guinness world record paperclip is 15 feet, two inches tall, three feet, three inches wide, 45 feet, six and three quarter inches long and weighs 3,043 pounds and was manufactured using five inch diameter steel.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a good use of steel. So if we ever need steel, we know where we can get some pretty quick, like 3,000 pounds. That's pretty good. Yeah, need go it.
0: steal the big paperclip.
2: <laughs> Only in a crisis situation. We'll
0: bungee it to our car.
2: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> on Halloween night in
0: 1992, Carmen was working at the Esso on the edge of town. She pumped gas there and worked at the till at the small convenience store at the station while taking courses at the local hospital to become a home care aide. After an argument with her boyfriend, Carmen was too upset to finish her shift. She told her boss about it and went home, where she changed her clothes. Carmen was so upset that she decided to go to the small local hospital as she hoped to see her close friend there, a special care aide and someone she often confided in.
2: Yep, yeah, go get some support.
0: Carmen arrived at the hospital around 8 p.m. Her friend was not on shift that night, but her family doctor was. He was 31-year-old Dr. John Schneeberger, born in Zimbabwe and educated in South Africa. Schneeberger moved to Canada in 1987. From court documents, after several trips to South Africa and a visit to British Columbia, he moved in with his girlfriend, who we'll call Lisa, at her family's cottage on Konisi Lake. He began his medical practice in Kipling in December of 1988. He and Lisa built a new house in Kipling, which they moved into in fall 1989. Schneeberger and Lisa were married in 1991. The doctor then became a stepfather to Lisa's teenage children from a previous marriage. The bespectacled and mustachioed Dr. Schneeberger was well-liked. He had an easy smile, a squeaky clean image in town, and a friendly, healthy family practice. Carmen was relieved to see Schneeberger. Schneeberger had been Carmen's doctor for the last year. He had even delivered her daughter in January of 1992. They had an excellent doctor-patient relationship, and Carmen had confided in Schneeberger before. Just over a week before this incident, she had spoken with the doctor about her ex, who was a deadbeat dad at the time, not paying child support he owed to her and his daughter. The doctor showed Carmen to an examination room where they chatted privately. Carmen talked with the doctor about her anger over the argument she had with her ex and was overall extremely emotional. Schneeberger said that he would give Carmen something to calm her down. Carmen agreed, and the doctor left the room to gather a sedative.
2: That sounds very old school. Oh, you're emotional. Let me just give you some medicine. Like, it's something from a movie that's so weird.
0: But they still do that. Like, if somebody is extremely emotionally upset, you're, they're going to give you a Valium.
2: I have never had that. Well, never. It doesn't matter how upset I am. The doctors never offered me anything.
0: Well, I used to go to the doctors just to get that and pretend that I was upset. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Schneeberger went to the nurse's station to acquire a syringe and the drug Versed to give to Carmen. He filled the syringe himself and did not ask for assistance. According to WebMD, Versed or Midazolam is used before surgery or a procedure. It helps to cause drowsiness, decrease anxiety, and to decrease your memory of the surgery or procedure. The medication may also be used to help with anesthesia or to sedate people who need a tube or machine to help with breathing. Midazolam works by calming the brain and nerves, it belongs to the same class of drugs known as benzodiazepines, and that's the same drug family that includes Valium, as I mentioned before.
2: So that sounds dreamy. Oh, okay.
0: It probably is. i
2: bet. It probably be feels nice. pretty good, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Schneeberger returned with the needle in his hand and closed the door after him. Carmen later recalled feeling surprised at seeing a syringe. She'd expected pills, perhaps a single Valium, and not an injection. But Carmen didn't resist. He was her doctor, after all.
2: Yeah, and she knew him and trusted him, so... Yep.
0: Carmen removed her coat, rolled up her right shirt sleeve, and held out her arm for her doctor. Schneeberger injected Carmen into her vein in the crook of her arm. Even before the doctor had finished depressing the syringe's plunger, which took mere seconds, Carmen slumped forward in her chair. Whatever Schneeberger had given her took hold in seconds. All the muscles in Carmen's body went limp almost instantly and she could not move at all. She felt like her body was jello. Carmen was immediately terrified and knew something was wrong.
2: Oh no, she kind of realized what was happening. I kind of thought you'd like drift off to sleep, but no, it sounds like she was aware.
0: Carmen felt herself being moved from a chair to the examination table in the room where the doctor laid her on her left side facing a wall. She tried to speak, but she couldn't. The lights in the room went off. From court documents, The next thing she recalls is having the button at the waist of her blue jeans being undone, the zipper being pulled down, and her blue jeans being moved down her body toward her knees. Her panties were being pushed toward her left side. She felt him rubbing his penis on her vagina back and forth, with some penetration of his penis into her vagina, end quote. Carmen later said that at the time she felt numb and, quote, compared the feeling to having a tooth frozen at the dentist. Although she felt numb, her skin was still sensitive and she could feel the pressure of his penis on her, end oh, quote. Gross.
2: She couldn't say anything or call out. She just...
0: Completely helpless.
2: Yeah. Ugh.
0: Carmen knew what was going on but could not do anything about it. She lay there still, powerless to stop the assault or even cry out for help. She could not see the face of her rapist as he had faced her away from him. The duration of the assault is estimated to have been between 15 and 20 minutes. With an effort, with an effort taking all of her will, Carmen was finally able to move her right arm. Then the assault abruptly stopped. He must have noticed, oh my gosh, she's moving again. The next sensation she felt was her jeans and underwear being pulled back up hastily. Her jeans were buttoned, and then she felt the presence behind her turning to leave. Carmen was able to roll over just in time to see Dr. Schneeberger removing his coat from the back of the door to leave the room. As far as Carmen was aware... He was the only one in the room with her for the whole ordeal. Carmen was confused. Her head swam from the drugs and the shock of what had taken place. She wrestled with denial about what had just happened to her.
2: Yeah, she probably couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, she was kind of in a haze. She trusted that person and he took full advantage.
0: Yeah, he assisted her with the birth of her daughter.
2: That's so confusing. You wouldn't expect that. That's like, it's almost like a friend.
0: Yeah, I mean, in small towns, doctors are kind of your friend. They're someone that you see a lot. You see them around town. Mm. You see them in social situations, that kind of thing. Yeah. Finally, a nurse came in and offered to bring her a blanket, which she accepted. The nurse returned with the blanket and put it on top of her. Carmen says her underwear felt uncomfortable, as did her pants. She reached down and discovered that her jeans were done up at her hips rather than her waist, and that her zipper was half open. Carmen reached down the back of her pants to see what was wrong with her underwear and discovered her panties were pushed over to the left side. When she tried to fix her underwear, she realized that the crotch area was all wet. She described it as being, quote, slimy and gross. When she pulled her hand out of her underwear, she smelled her hand. It smelled like semen.
2: Yeesh. Oh, no.
0: That is when she realized, oh, my God, this really did happen. She says she lay there not knowing what to do. She did not know if she should ask the nurse to call police. She was in shock and she felt betrayed.
2: Yeah, what are you supposed to do? This is a nightmare.
0: It is an absolute nightmare. A nurse asked Carmen if she wanted to spend the night at the hospital. The young woman thought it might be a good idea as she was still groggy from the drugs that Schneeberger had given her. Carmen didn't feel it was wise for her to drive home in that state. Carmen lay there by herself for a couple hours and was set up in a room at around 10.30 p.m. A friendly nurse brought pajamas for her to wear. Carmen phoned her friend, Kelly, also an alias, to come to the hospital and talk. Carmen did not trust the nurses and wanted to see a friendly face. So, yeah, absolutely, you've all of a sudden had this horrible thing happen to you at this place. Yeah. You're not going to trust anybody there, let alone this doctor.
2: Yeah, call your friend.
0: From court documents, quote, her distrust of the nursing staff did not appear to be directed personally toward any of them, but related more to Carmen's view that Dr. Schneeberger was a powerful man in the hospital at Kipling, end quote. Again from court documents, Carmen had already changed into the pajamas when Kelly arrived at the hospital shortly after 11 p.m. Carmen says she left her panties on under the pajamas. Her blue jeans, a tank top and her sweater were heaped in a pile on the floor. Carmen and Kelly went into the smoking room where Carmen told Kelly what had happened to her. Carmen said she still had semen dripping out of her, and she showed Kelly wet spots on her pajama bottoms. After Kelly left the hospital, Carmen accepted some medication from the nurses that had been prescribed by Dr. Schneeberger to help her relax, and she went to sleep.
2: This is just awful.
0: The nurses were aware that Carmen was due in her care aid classes in the hospital's basement the next morning. They woke her up in plenty of time to get there. She was still feeling out of it from the previous night's events. She got dressed in the same clothes she'd been wearing and went down to class, promising to come back on her lunch break to see Dr. Schneeberger to be formally discharged. What? Yeah, this guy was involved in the whole process of her being there. Oh
2: my god.
0: From court documents, quote, Carmen says she was sitting on the bed in her room when Dr. Schneeberger entered and sat on the bed beside her. She still felt, quote, grumpy, mad, and angry, end quote. He recommended she see someone for anger counseling and scheduled an appointment with him. Carmen said he acted as if nothing had happened. Carmen asked Schneeberger what drug he had given her the night before. He responded by saying to the effect, why? Did you have wild dreams?
2: Oh, this guy's the worst.
0: Carmen said she simply responded that it was not a dream. He then walked out of the room without answering her question about the drug she had received. Carmen then went to join her class at the Kipling Motor Inn during their lunch break. Carmen asked her teacher if there was anywhere she could get a pap test done on a Sunday, saying she did not want any of the doctors in Kipling to do it.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a good option. At this point... She- can't trust anyone.
0: Over the next few hours, the seriousness of what happened to Carmen began to sink in. She told her parents and another classmate about the sexual assault and who had done it. Classes were done at about 4 p.m. and Carmen went right home to change the clothes that now felt so dirty. She took off her underwear and sealed them in a plastic bag.
2: So wait, this was 1992 and she's still kind of, she really kept it together to kind of... For her to know, okay, I need to keep this as evidence, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, she was really kind of on it.
0: Carmen then called the hospital to ask if there was a place to get a pap smear on a Sunday. The RN on duty said that someone would call her back. Not 10 minutes later, the phone rang. It was Dr. Schneeberger.
2: Why? How is he just keeping everything so close to him? But what? there's no other doctor nothing like there's a
0: thousand people in this town how many doctors are there going to be not a lot a lot and yeah if he's a predator he doesn't want the word to get out that it was him who did this
2: thing yeah he's controlling everything it's awful
0: from court documents schneeberger asked her what was wrong and she replied that something really bad had happened to her at the hospital She thinks she told him that somebody pulled her pants down. His response was that he did not think they had any, quote, dirty old men at the hospital. She cannot recall if he asked her who she thought was responsible and she didn't accuse him of anything. No. Schneeberger then offered to do the pap smear himself. Carmen, mortified, declined. The doctor countered that he could have a female doctor do it for her. Carmen again refused the doctor's offers and said she was going to Regina to have it done. Most likely to further frighten Carmen and maintain control of the situation, Schneeberger told the young woman he would have to report the alleged sexual assault to the hospital's administration. Carmen said thanks but no thanks and decided to take her chances in Regina.
2: She's... I like how she's just kind of taking charge. She's not staying here. She can go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm amazed. She's actually able to just kind of keep control of the situation for herself, Mm -hmm. even though he's really pressuring her to just like, didn't happen. Don't worry about it. It's cool.
0: But you could see how some people would actually just crater to that pressure and just go.
2: Buckle under the pressure, I'm sure. Just be like, maybe I made this up. Maybe this was, this didn't really happen.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Like, this guy's my friend.
0: Right. And that's probably what he's hoping will Mm -hmm. happen by him doing this. It's just like, well, we can make it all go away by pretending it didn't happen. And I carry on with my relationship with this woman as a patient, just like normal.
2: Yeah, this never happened.
0: Kelly and Carmen went to Regina and called the sexual assault crisis line from the Victoria Mall. They were directed to a clinic where what amounted to a sexual assault kit was completed which included a full examination and swab samples from Carmen's bodily fluids. Carmen had the presence of mind to bring her underwear and the rest of her clothing that she had been wearing on the night of assault along with her. All the evidence was turned into the police and in several interviews over the next days, Carmen spoke to the RCMP about her encounter with the apparent monster, Dr. Schneeberger. RCMP sent Carmen's clothing away for DNA analysis.
2: Thank goodness that... That center was there Mm -hmm. because where else would she have gone? Like, who's going to who's going to, you know, fight that fight?
0: And how many times has this kind of thing happened in a small place and people don't have that option?
2: Yeah, there's no. Yeah. My gosh.
0: One would think this is an open and shut case. DNA profiling has been around since 1985. So people were aware of it. Mm hmm. Although a relatively new science, it was widely accepted as the go-to tool in investigations like the one into Carmen's rape. Mm -hmm. Determining guilt in this case was not going to be easy or quick. And we will take a break right here.
2: Okay, I need one.
0: And we're back. What are your thoughts, Carol?
2: I just um just feel furious that the doctor is just taking advantage and just going along as though nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm so um just relieved that Carmen's just getting the help that she needs. Mm-hmm. So and kind of not letting him kind of keep control of the situation. I like she stepped away from that.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of why I picked this story because of the strength of her character in not allowing this guy to get away with it.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it was about her that she could just like, no, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad whatever it is she had. Yeah. Or has.
0: RCMP interviews with Dr. Schneeberger did not elicit any confessions from the accused rapist. He was jocular and calm throughout, flatly denying having assaulted Carmen. Carmen. Schneeberger told the RCMP officers present for the interview on November 6, 1992, that his relationship with Carmen was similar to that of his other patients. From court documents, quote, Schneeberger said that Carmen seemed to be angry and irritable much of the time. He did not know if that related to any concerns with him or because of other issues she had concerning employment and income. He observed that she seemed to be well-dressed but thought she might put a little more effort into dressing to see the doctor than she might if she were just going for coffee. He said there was no animosity between them, end quote.
2: What is he talking about? Right. What? <laughs> the way she dre- what?
0: Put more effort into dressing up when you go see the doctor.
2: What she? Sh- what? I just don't understand his comments there at all, other than he is just a total creep and a jerk. Talking down to her. hmm
0: And the other stuff about her being irritable and angry. He's trying to set her up like the crazy person. Yeah.
2: Oh, and then look at her employment situation and income.
0: Right. She's going to be after money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hmm It's very, very manipulative and oh, gross. Oh,
2: he is horrid.
0: Dr. Schneeberger told police, yes, he had treated Carmen that night. He said she was distraught and he had given her Versed to calm her down. The doctor claimed that Carmen had reacted badly to the drug and become woozy. Schneeberger said that he had helped Carmen onto the examination table, comforted her, and then asked if she wanted a blanket. He said that when she said yes, Schneeberger claimed he tasked the nurse with obtaining a blanket. The doctor said that Carmen remained fully clad for the whole interaction. Schneeberger downplayed Carmen's rape claims, saying that he had no idea about an assault on her, sexual or otherwise, nor who might have done it. The doctor also claimed that his logic behind sedating and keeping Carmen in the hospital overnight involved a violent outburst he had witnessed Carmen having earlier in the year when she beat up, quote, her ex-boyfriend. Schneeberger claimed that he was worried Carmen might become violent again that night and (laughs) hurt the man.
2: Okay, right. He's doing it to help her boyfriend? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, kind of miss who you're supposed to be helping there.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah. The RCMP asked Schneeberger whether he would be willing to provide a blood sample that would hopefully rule him out as a suspect in a sexual assault. Schneeberger did not want to give the samples at first. He cited a distrust for one of the RCMP officers involved and claimed that the officer reminded him of corrupt South African police. He also said he was worried that Carmen might have obtained his DNA surreptitiously to frame him, possibly for money.
2: How do you get that kind of DNA surreptitiously? I think it's a bit of a stretch there, doctor.
0: Well, when the RCMP asked how Carmen could have obtained his DNA, specifically his semen, Schneeberger had a theory.
2: Oh, my question.
0: He said that his house was easily accessible to anyone wanting to enter. The family always left the side, back, and garage doors unlocked. As Schneeberger and his wife used condoms, perhaps someone had acquired one he had thrown in the trash. From court documents, quote, after he used the condom, he tied it and put it in the bathroom garbage, and it would be taken out to the garbage later. <laughs> I know.
2: In hindsight, just ridiculous. I'm sure at that time people were like, "Oh, okay, safety first.
0: For more than two weeks, Schneeberger fussed about a def- fussed about defer. For more than two weeks, Schneeberger fussed about deferring his decision to give DNA samples. On November 16, 1992, Schneeberger finally decided to submit to the DNA testing. According to a Time magazine article written in 2009, quote, DNA, or deoxyribonucleic acid, contains the complex genetic blueprint that distinguishes each person. Forensic testing can determine if distinctive patterns in the genetic material found at a crime scene matches the DNA in a potential perpetrator with better than 99% accuracy. And it's been painted as almost flawless in cases. Years later, we know that there can be issues. And this Mm -hmm. case specifically will show that. Bobby Rye, an experienced hospital laboratory technician at the Kipling Medical Center, took three vials of Dr. Schneeberger's blood from a vein in the crook of his right arm. Ms. Rye gave two of the vials to the RCMP, who sent the blood off for analysis. The third vial remained in refrigeration at the Kipling Hospital. Carmen was aware the testing was taking place and felt the evidence would bring Schneeberger to justice for her rape.
2: Yep, taking blood.
0: They're going to get him. There's no way he can get around that.
2: Or the police could just go into his house where he just happens to leave all the doors open and all the semen all over the bathroom. Two different ways, sir.
0: Yeah, well, you need a search warrant to do that. (laughs) Okay. People were already starting to talk in Kipling. It's not a problem with the townspeople. It's hard to keep a secret in a small town. I know it was in Bridgewater. Some of those who knew Carmen well believed her story and it was not like her to level false accusations against anyone, especially regarding something so serious. There were a few people, though, who came down on Dr. Schneeberger's side. They couldn't reconcile the predatory behavior Carmen was accusing the doctor of, especially with the pleasant, gentle man that they knew and trusted. As DNA profiling was slower in those days, it took around six weeks for the results to come back. The blood sample obtained from Dr. Schneeberger's arm did not match the semen, on Carmen's panties to a certainty of 1 in 160 million. The blood and semen were not from the same donors. Carmen was livid when she heard that the DNA in her panties did not match that provided by Dr. Schneeberger. She was confident that the doctor had assaulted her and told the RCMP constable it wasn't possible. But again, she had to reiterate she hadn't seen the person's face. Yeah. The test Had to have been wrong somehow, she thought. According to court documents, the constable's response was, that's the way it is. Carmen later said that she thought she had detected a hint of humor in the officer's voice, like he thought it was amusing. She reiterated her claims about Schneeberger to the officer and said that she would find proof that the doctor had raped her. Here's a person in power. He sees this evidence. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, he didn't do that to you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And also, it's not what it looks like, but and it really isn't what it looks like. Yeah. But still, um, it's easy to take the doctor's side just because of his status in society, I guess. And
0: the trust of the evidence. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, oh, well, here's another crazy lady who's yeah. accusing somebody who is a powerful, well-respected person. She's a single mom with uh, employment problems. And, and she
2: was in hysteria.
0: Yep. All of the above. Yep. yep. When some of the townspeople in Kipling found out the doctor's DNA didn't match the sample in Carmen's clothing, even more of them turned on her and ostracized the young woman, calling her a liar. In August of 1993, RCMP asked Dr. Schneeberger to provide another blood sample after some inconsistencies came to light about his relationship with one of the RCMP investigators. Oh. Carmen was accusing the cop of covering up for the doctor and that the pair were friends. Okay. Another small-town problem.
2: Yeah, I guess. I always forget. I haven't lived in a small town for a while, so.
0: From court documents, Ms. Rye, the hospital lab tech, took another sample of blood from Dr. Schneeberger on August 6, 1993, with an RCMP corporal present. On that occasion, Schneeberger was wearing a long sleeve shirt down to his elbow and he would not permit her to push it up. He pointed out his vein to her. She said it felt unusual, somewhat round and hard and spongy. on the vacu- When she put on the vacutainer, that's the, the little thing that plugs into the syringe. Right. Mm-hmm. The vial. She was unable to obtain a sample. The doctor moved the needle around to the area he had pointed out on the vein. Eventually, a little blood came from the vein. End quote. RCMP sent the second sample off to the lab and once again, it came back as a negative match to the DNA from Carmen's underwear. Same DNA as before.
2: Yeah. And even though it was like a bit weird how he's giving his blood, it's just like still that lady put the needle in his arm, so. Yeah. Okay.
0: People began to treat Carmen like she were a crazy person. Many thought she was a neurotic woman obsessed with a good-looking young doctor that she couldn't have. From court documents, quote, On November 14th, 1994, over two years after the rape, a final review of the file was performed and the file was closed. Case closed. It didn't happen. And
2: this was going on for two years. Two years at this point. And then it was totally shut down.
0: Yep. Carmen was devastated. She knew full well that it was the doctor who had raped her and stuck to her guns. Never backing down from her claims, despite the ridicule from the townspeople at Kipling. Carmen was resolute. She continued to press her claim that Dr. Schneeberger had sexually assaulted her on Halloween 1992, and she pursued civil action against him, as the criminal case had all but stalled. Suspecting that Schneeberger had somehow foiled the test in late 1995, Carmen's lawyer demanded that the RCMP turn over evidence in the criminal case, and it was turned over to them. Carmen hired a private investigator named Larry O'Brien to follow the doctor, and secretly obtain a DNA sample.
2: So I like that she's got some representation. I'm just wondering how she was able to afford that, or were they doing it kind of...
0: I don't know. And With cases like this, maybe it was somebody who just heard her story and really believed her and did a pro bono for her because she was obviously a person who didn't have a lot of money. Maybe some family helped her out, Mm -hmm. something like that. I'm
2: just glad she had that support.
0: In March of 1996... O'Brien found Schneeberger's car unlocked and entered it. Inside, he found a slightly used tube of chapstick in the ashtray. O'Brien rubbed the chapstick onto a plastic window of a fresh banking envelope a few times with the hope of getting DNA from it. The private investigator then sealed the sample in a plastic bag, put it in a larger envelope, sealed that, dated, signed it, and initialed it, and sent it to a lab here in British Columbia. This time, the samples matched. Carmen was ecstatic, but as O'Brien had obtained the sample without a warrant, it was poisoned evidence and would not be admissible in criminal court. Yet another blow to Carmen's years-long quest for justice.
2: Yeah, but this guy just does not lock doors. He lets everyone know I don't lock doors, so what does he expect?
0: I guess so. (laughs) When confronted with this, Schneeberger said the chapstick wasn't his. After more back and forth between the police and Schneeberger's lawyers, he agreed once again to submit to another DNA test to prove his innocence. So, chain of evidence wasn't there. You can't prove that it was the doctors. It may have been in his car, but nobody saw him use it, put it down, and uh, then immediately rush in to get a DNA sample. So,
2: I know, without the proof, but still, it's such a long shot. What are the chances of the chapstick matching her? Right. The DNA shad.
0: It's plausible deniability. It's not impossible that it was his, but there is plausible deniability. And that's all an offender needs. It's that shadow of doubt, right?
2: Yeah. But at least it gave them some information to follow up on. Yeah. So if they had done the chapstick thing and then there was no match, then we'd be just like, hmm. But this is like there's a match in this guy's car. Okay, let's carry on with this.
0: Yeah, there's got to be something to this. Yeah, or maybe it's planted evidence. All that kind. Of, there could be so many different things. That's right. True. Again, conspiracies, plausible deniability. It's all about the money. She's trying to get the good doctor's money. On November twentieth, nineteen ninety six, the third test went ahead. Three times they had to test this guy. Three. Yep. This time, investigators videotaped a session. Dr. Schneeberger was wearing a white long sleeve shirt with a yellow sweater over the top and the tape. It looks very put together. He rolls up the sweater and shirt to give access to his elbow and holds out his arm to the tech. Mm-hmm. This time, the person taking the sample was Jean Roney an expert in serology and forensic DNA profiling employed by the RCMP at the Forensic Crime Lab in Regina. So they're not messing around with local lab techs anymore. This is an RCMP-trained technician. Yep. From court documents, quote, although the normal process would be to obtain blood samples by a finger prick, Dr. Schneeberger would not permit that procedure. He indicated that he had a syndrome that caused hematomas to his fingers he offered to have blood taken from his arm. If that was not acceptable, he said it would have to wait for another day. All right. Ms. Roney placed a tourniquet on Schneeberger's arm and attempted to obtain blood samples from him. However, even though Schneeberger confirmed that she had inserted the needle into his vein, very little blood was obtained in the first vial and a negligible amount in the second vial. Ms. Roney indicated that the vein looked quite large even before applying the tourniquet. Ms. Roney described the blood as not looking fresh. (laughs) She said it was very dark, almost black. She indicated that the only other occasion she had seen that color of blood was as if it had been stored in a refrigerator or at an autopsy.
2: Oh my God.
0: On the videotape, Ms. Roney looks puzzled by what she sees and hesitated before stating, after the doctor had left the room, that the blood did not, quote, look fresh. The blood obtained was not viable for testing at all. Police and investigators were confused and began to wonder more about what was going on. Something felt very wrong, but they couldn't prove it.
2: I have one theory. What? Demon. He's a demon. That's why the blood wasn't right.
0: He's definitely demonic. (laughs) But you can't demand he's having blood tests. He is giving voluntary blood tests. This isn't... There's no search warrant at this point because they have no evidence against this guy.
2: So they have to go through this procedure and now he's provided some bunk blood.
0: Three times there's blood and this third time, why does this blood look this way? It's weird, right? It's ash. <laughs> it's ashes. yeah. <laughs> in April of 1997, April 1997. Yeah. So remember, this rape took place in 1992.
2: Yep, so five years later...
0: A break came in the case in the most horrendous way imaginable. Another victim, a second one, came forward and accused Schneeberger of rape. From a 2001 Globe and Mail article by reporter Margaret Went, quote, when the case was all but dead again, another victim came forward. She was Schneeberger's own stepdaughter, age 15. Mom, I have something to tell you, she said. She took her mother to her bedroom and showed a condom wrapper in the bed. Mom, and he's done this to me before, she told her. And Lisa knew.
2: Oh, no.
0: She kicked Schneeberger out of the house and found a hidden box full of drugs, vials, syringes, and condoms. She called the RCMP. I felt sick, she later said on CTV's W5, which aired a compelling documentary on the case. I still blame myself. Maybe if I had believed Carmen, none of this would have happened to my daughter. End quote
2: horrible horrible oh man
0: after an investigation dr schneeberger was arrested and charged on october 10th 1997 schneeberger attended a preliminary hearing on sexual assault and other charges against him for the assaults on his stepdaughter at that time the doctor heard that he was to stand trial for those crimes still the matter of carmen's rape lingered after some legal wrangling. RCMP obtained a warrant to get yet another DNA sample from Schneeberger. Fourth one now. Yeah. The fourth time. But this time it was to be blood, hair, and a swab from his cheek. On December 16th, 1997, five years after, Mm -hmm. Schneeberger got the royal treatment from the forensic techs. His face fell when they plucked a hair, swabbed his cheek, and pricked his finger to get a blood sample. Sure enough... The fourth time the police tested him, Schneeberger was a positive match as the person who had provided the semen found in Carmen's panties in
2: 1992. Oh man, so after all that time, finally. But. He got away with it for so long.
0: And how? January 9th, 1998, almost six years after Carmen's rape, the Crown charged Dr. John Schneeberger with a commission of several offenses, including administering a noxious substance as well as sexual and aggravated assault on Carmen, who was nearly 30 by this time. During his 1999 trial, Schneeberger revealed the method that he had used to foil the DNA tests. This is crazy. He had implanted a 15 centimeter long Penrose drain filled with another man's blood and anticoagulants in his arm, inserting it via an incision near his shoulder and then feeding the tube down underneath his skin to where it would be drawn by the technician. During the test, he had tricked the laboratory tech into taking the blood sample from the place he had planted the tube. In the videotaped session from 1996, viewers can see the tube's outline underneath Schneeberger's skin in the crook of his arm in a still image.
2: That's the part I saw when you were doing the research, was him putting that thing in his arm, (laughs) like from his shoulder, Wow, that's willing to go to any lengths to hide your dirtiness.
0: Schneeberger was convicted of rape and obstruction of justice, and the judge sentenced him to six years in prison. That's right, only six years. And he still wasn't finished hurting people.
2: How many years did Bill Cosby get?
0: That's a great question. I think in the the States they uh, will give you more.
2: But... Oh, okay, same kind of situation.
0: Again, from the Globe and Mail article by Margaret Went. After her husband was arrested, Lisa had four children to support. The baby, Schneebergers, was just 13 months old. She sold the car and house to pay the bills. She got a divorce, resumed her maiden name, and found a job running the Diabetes Association in Red Deer. The night before the guilty verdict was delivered, Lisa violated the visitation agreement by refusing to let the girls sleep over with him. He nailed her for contempt of court, and she paid a $2,000 fine.
2: Oh my God, he is such a creep.
0: The College of Physicians and Surgeons of Saskatchewan stripped Schneeberger of his medical license. According to Wikipedia, in 2003, after serving only four years in prison, Schneeberger was released on parole. He was stripped of his Canadian citizenship, granted in 1993, due to the fact that it was illegally obtained. The doctor had lied to a Canadian citizenship judge claiming he was not the subject of a police investigation. He knowingly concealed material circumstances.
2: Good. So they just, yeah, they threw the book at him for that.
0: In December 2003, Canadian authorities ordered his deportation. All right. Being a permanent resident of South Africa, Canadian immigration authorities sent him back there in July of 2004. He moved to Durban to live with his mother. According to a report by the Mercury News in Durban, Schneeberger applied to the Health Professions Council of South Africa to work in medicine less than three weeks after his arrival in Durban. The council was considering the former doctor's registration until Schneeberger suddenly withdrew it in mid-October. So probably he didn't tell them that he had been convicted of raping a patient in Canada.
2: Yeah, probably not. Probably just pretend not. like this didn't happen. I'll just be a doctor here.
0: Yeah, well, we're going to look into things. Oh, well, yeah, I don't want to have that anymore.
2: Yeah, I withdraw my application.
0: As of 2018, Carmen was happily married and worked as a continuing care assistant for an addiction services facility in Saskatchewan. According to Schneeberger's ex-wife, Lisa, in the above-mentioned Globe and Mail article, quote, Her older daughter has grown into a strong woman, the community has rallied around. I don't have time to feel sorry for myself or think about me, she said the other day. Maybe that's what kept me going this long, end quote. So I feel for Carmen, number yes. one. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I really applaud her stick in saying, nope, this guy did that to me, and yeah. there is no way that I'm letting him get away with it.
2: And it wasn't just for like a few weeks. It was for years and years. Yep. And she tried to get resources and um, uh, you know assistance. She just kept going. And at
0: the price of her reputation in the community, even, yeah,
2: she had to leave. Yeah.
0: Lisa Schneeberger's wife, yeah, and the children. You know, he had two younger children. They would be in their teens now, mm-hmm. maybe even their twenties. Twenties, yeah. Anything. Come to think yeah. of it, horrible. Like that's your dad, and yeah. then the stepfather that is raping the young or the older daughter. Yeah. I mean, Lisa indicated that she felt terrible.
2: Yeah, she brought a predator into her own home, Mm -hmm. not knowing. Like, just he was just such a wolf in sheep's clothing. Like, no one would expect that. He'd gotten away with it for so, so long.
0: Yep. And a lot of these predators do get away with it for a very, very long time until things come to light. I kind of did a bit of research about it, and um, some people really struggle with the guilt. I know I did. I struggled with like, was this my fault that something happened to me when I was younger, all that kind of thing. But that's what these guys count on. Mm -hmm. So if you have been repeatedly lied to by someone, you might need to help untangle the mess afterward. Um, In an article on uh, inc.com, expands on the following five ways to recover from being cheated, lied to, or manipulated. Number one, forgive yourself for being fooled. Number two, don't give a known liar the benefit of the doubt. That was kind of Carmen's MO. Like, yep, yeah. yeah, no, mm-hmm. learn the basics of deception detection. Yeah. Learn what these liars do. That's why I do this show partly to know what to watch for and to try and help educate people what to watch for. Yeah. Stop being shy about checking things out. So if you suspect, go ahead, go ahead and look into things. Yeah. Ask questions. And number five, and probably most importantly, don't change who you are. Continue to be you. You know, people uh, go through these things and they think that there's something in them that needs to change. Yeah. And sometimes Carmen,
2: she had to move. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We also want to talk about sexual assault resources, of course. So if you've been sexually assaulted, please contact your local police right away and do what you can to preserve the evidence, as Carmen did. As well, there are numerous resources online. Just Google sexual assault followed by your region and you will find tons of them. Canadians can also check out sexualassault.ca, which includes a page dedicated to sexual assault by doctors. Yeah. And and you talked to a friend of yours about this, right? Yeah.
2: I worked with someone that worked as, um, she was a volunteer for, it's a 24-hour crisis and information line uh, with the Rape Crisis Centre. And it's called w-a-v-a-w and it's in bc but you can check out the resources there it's w dot w-a-v-a-w dot c-a and i know she had a phone that she when it was her turn to answer the crisis calls mm-hmm. she had it with her and then she would take the calls i checked the website they're doing they're still doing work they don't do Um, meetings in person but definitely there's someone there to answer the phone if you need to talk. I know we had someone call um, the Dark Protein phone number asking for um, resources specifically in BC so that's a a good one that I know about and we'll put the link on the show notes.
0: Yeah so yes and that's, that's probably the biggest reason why we decided to do this show this week. I had it's been a requested show And actually, someone requested it this week as well. But I had already thought, like, I'm going to do this because of the phone call that we got. We didn't play that call on the show because that person sounded so sad and broken and Yeah, I hope you're
2: okay, and I hope this helps.
0: Yeah, so I will share those things in the show notes so you folks can learn more about that. And if you need help, like I say, if you have been sexually assaulted, call the police. They are set up to help you. Yeah. Uh, even though maybe this isn't the best case to prove that, but
2: I know. Well Carmen actually, you know, helped bring awareness for sure. So
0: All right, it's time for voicemails.
2: <gasps> voicemails.
0: If you want to leave us one, you can do so at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. If your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. And here is the first one.
3: Hi, Mike. My, my name is Cheryl Amy and I listen in Rhode Island, the U.S., right next to Massachusetts. We are the smallest state in the union, as a matter of fact. Um, but I was born in British Columbia. I was born up north in K-M-A-T, Um And I'm very familiar with different parts of British Columbia. Um, I also lived in Ontario. I've lived all over Canada pretty much. I was in and out of the foster system, and then I was back with my mom and She was not a very good mom, and she left me in the States, and it was a whole big thing. But anyway, listening to you guys really warms my heart. I really love listening to all the kindness and compassion, because that's what Canadians are known for, for the most part, I think, anyway. So anyway, I love you guys. You guys are so awesome, and I am in recovery And I have a little over five years, and I totally understand the mental health because I deal with bipolar and borderline. Thankfully, I am medicated and doing exceptionally well. I'm grateful to never have gone to jail, but, you know, that's a yet to So listening to all of the different podcasts and whatnot that, that you guys, I'm starting to branch out a little bit, but I think that talking about all Different things that you guys talk about really helps me in my recovery and centers me. So, um, Mike and Scott go shit in your hat, you know, a poop in your toque whatever it
2: takes. But blessed be.
0: So there you go. That was nice.
2: That was. She survived. My God, man.
0: Yeah, it's kind of uh, kind of great when people survive. Survival yes. is a good thing.
2: She sounds like upbeat and happy too. So yep, that's nice. Yeah.
0: Let's check out another one.
2: Hi, Mike. My
1: name is Anthony, and I'm coming at you from Fredericton, New Brunswick. I uh, love the show. been listening to it since I found it last year. Um, so I work out in the woods, no reception, so your podcast has been got some to keep us busy in the hours and hours we're out there. And uh, last year, this past season, I was working with a friend of mine, Logan, and Uh, We were listening to the Manti Murders, and she had been tree planting um, the summer before and told me a story that kind of came up because of that story. So we were listening to uh, the podcast, and she had mentioned that someone she worked with had gotten a new pair of work boots, and they kind of looked like army boots. And the guy who uh, had owned them had said that he had actually gotten those from his father who got them from an auction. Um, and then it turned out it was a police auction and when they had looked inside the boots, one boot had said Justin and the other boot had said Bork on the inside. So that was kind of another thing that kind of made us both kind of, oh my God, what the heck happened there? But, uh, yeah, we thought that was kind of interesting and you'd like to know. Uh, anyways, again, love the show. Love how you guys do a respectful job to the families and victims and everyone involved. Um, And uh, yeah, always enjoy it with a double-double So you guys enjoy the rest of your day And uh, shit in your hats Take
0: care That is crazy It it sounds like those boots came from uh, The police auction of evidence Which is really, really weird And I didn't know that they did that But I guess you learn something new every day So I guess that means Well, we're done our voicemails
2: Ooh, that was a good one Two gooders
0: Two goodies Um, Yeah and again, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at one 877 or one darkptn And again, if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Time for Patreon.
2: Okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready.
0: So our first patron is one we've missed. What? Yeah. No. And she says she became a patron back in August, but she hasn't heard her name yet. <gasps> and I actually don't remember saying it. But we do miss some. Sometimes it just gets missed and it's not on purpose. We do want to say your name on the show. So, again, if you have missed your shout out, just let us know you haven't heard it. It's okay. We'll do it again.
2: Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to the manager. Oh, wait. He's right here.
0: <laughs> um, Holly Crouchy has not heard her name yet. Where's Holly from, Carol?
2: She's from Australasia.
0: Oh, what does she do in Australasia?
2: She's a seamstress.
0: She's a seamstress. Yes. What, tell us more about Australasia, Carol. <laughs>
2: Uh, It's the Great Dividing Range. It runs along the northeast side of Australia.
0: Oh, so is it like a mountain range? Yes, it it? is a mountain range. well, there you go. So she lives in the mountains and she's a seamstress. Exactly. Probably knitting warm clothes or sewing warm clothes. (laughs) Sewing more than knitting, but I'm I'm sure she knits as well. I'm not good with the craft.
2: It gets mountainy out there, so they need hats. So I'm sure she knits hats too, but it's mostly clothes.
0: See, now I'm correcting you.
2: (laughs) That's okay, we can correct each other.
0: Yeah, yeah. you can uh, you can craft-splain to me. And I'll... <laughs> I'll
2: craft-splain, you can mansplain. Yeah, it's, it's perfect.
0: A, yeah, exactly. Holly,
2: sorry. Thank,
0: yeah, so thank you, Holly, the seamstress from Astral- Australasia, Australasia in, in Australia, in Australia. The, ma- the mountainous area. She's probably a very nice lady. I think so. Um, next up, we have from Patreon... Kate Caitlin Dubay Caitlin and she is from Amherstburg in Ontario
2: where is that in Ontario what's nearby
0: Amherstburg I have never heard of Amherstburg uh, Ontario and let's find out. Oh, oh, it looks a, nice. It's really close to Michigan. You're
2: so close to Detroit. Yeah, so Detroit. I
0: have probably driven past there because when I went through, no, I would have went no. the other
2: way. i but she's driven by Detroit.
0: Yeah. I wonder if she's a Red Wings fan and not a Leafs fan because oh. a lot of the people who live close to Detroit just end up being Red Wings fans.
2: That does make sense, though.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense not to be a Leafs fan. <laughs> hey,
2: I love Detroit. I love the Red Wings. I think they're great. They used to be. Yeah, but it's been a while. Actually, we haven't watched hockey in ages. Well, you haven't. I do. (laughs) No, because of COVID.
0: Yeah, that's true. Sheesh. Sheesh. Well, thank you, Caitlin Dubay in uh, Amherstburg. What does she do in Amherstburg?
2: Okay, cobbler.
0: She's a cobbler. Yes, exactly. So she's making shoes with Daniel Day-Lewis.
2: Exactly. They were in school together, in cobbler school together. She taught him, actually, a little known fact. She showed him some design.
0: How to cobble. Yeah. I cobble, but I just kind of (laughs) cobble things together.
2: I make cobbler. You have made some nice
0: cobbler. Yeah. 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 Apple. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Next up, as far as patrons go, we have Jody Umansky. And Jody is from Charlotte,
2: North Carolina. <gasps> North Carolina, fancy.
0: I've never been. Have, no, me
2: neither. Oh but you, I hear it's really nice.
0: I bet you the food's good there. I'll bet. I,
2: that's what <laughs> biscuits I, gravy. I know.
0: That's the first thing I think about whenever I think of a place. Is what do they eat? What there? What do they
2: eat there? Biscuits and gravy. Yeah. Oh,
0: so what yes. does Jody Umansky do? Biscuit in, maker. She's a <laughs> she's a biscuit maker. I
2: know. I'm so original.
0: Wow, is that ever. She makes
2: the best biscuits in all of North Carolina. Wow. But she's very humble about it. She doesn't brag, but it's true.
0: She can humble brag.
2: No, she doesn't even do that. She's like the saint of biscuits.
0: She's the biscuit saint of North Carolina. Yeah, she just
2: quietly makes the most delicious biscuits. Wow. I know. She's the best. Jody.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. It is. Uh, Next up, we have... From Edmonton, Alberta. Carol's laughing. But
2: uh, I can't help it. I'm from Calgary, and I'm old school, so it's just the, yeah, always a thing. Carol is
0: about the rivalry between Edmonton and Calgary.
2: I should just give it up for Lent because, really, I mean, it's yeah. You've lived in Vancouver longer. <laughs> I know. It's okay to live in Edmonton. Tamara lives in Edmonton. That's right. Yeah.
0: So our uh, our patron this week is Amanda Bain there Amanda. in Edmonton. Yeah, what nice. does Amanda do in Edmonton? Banker. <laughs> She's a banker. <laughs> well, what what type of bank? Is it a money bank? Is it a blood bank? What, what? It's
2: the blood bank.
0: She works at the blood bank. Yes, exactly. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. See how I helped you there?
2: Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to prepare a little more for this in the future. Well,
0: you should probably look and in, look into these patrons' lives before because... Uh,
2: I'll just stalk them all. Yeah, yeah. That I feel that that will make them feel comfortable. Ooh, Carol's looking at my Facebook profile again. Look, I, the,
0: looking them up on LinkedIn <laughs> just to find out what they're doing with their exactly, lives.
2: what do you do? But we're supposed to make it up, not actually give their bio. So I'll try not to uh, use your actual job if you're on the LinkedIn's.
0: Next, we have uh, our good friend, Sally Norris. Mike and Carol, many thanks as always. My thoughts this week are with Scott and his family. Please give him a hefty man hug on my behalf. Sally in. Thanks, Sally. Um, Yep, Scott is uh, doing his thing.
2: Can we use her last name? Sally
0: Norris. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Does she know Chuck?
0: We've talked about that on the show.
2: Oh, Sally, you lucky duck with that last name. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the Patreon. Is it Patreon money? No, it's PayPal. no, PayPal. Sorry. It's donut money. It's PayPal.
0: It's PayPal. <laughs> exactly. I have said that before.
2: Thanks for being a PayPal.
0: And next up we have another Paller.
2: Yay!
0: Amanda Welby. I wonder if she's related to Marcus Welby. Dr. Welby. Doctor Dr. Welby. Okay. And where on earth? Is Amanda Welby from?
2: She's from the Faroe Islands. What? In Denmark.
0: In Denmark? Fancy. I wonder if she knows our friend Maya from Denmark.
2: Yeah, she might know. Yeah,
0: Maya's very funny. Yes. Yeah.
2: And a big runner. Oh my gosh, always running.
0: Well, she's not a big person. No, she's She's...
2: little, but she's running all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's just another marathon I ran today. So,
0: Amanda is from the Faroe Islands. Mm Mm-hmm. In Denmark. Oh, that's interesting. I
2: know. Oh. It sounds like it should be in Egypt, but it's not.
0: So what does she do? She's
2: actually an Egyptologist in Denmark at the Faroe Islands.
0: Oh, it's inter- that's interesting. And mm-hmm. she's probably not a very successful one because there's not a lot of... There's
2: not a lot of digging there to find pharaohs, but she's a heavy, heavy researcher. Right. Yeah. So she's
0: still looking.
2: Yeah, she is. She's yeah. going to find something. Good for
0: Amanda Welby. The Vikings Welby. might
2: have brought something over. You never know.
0: The Vikings and the Egyptians are well known to have hung out together.
2: Totally hanging out, having parties. They all had ships. You don't know whose paths could have crossed. Right.
0: We don't know. No. It's no. true. We don't, we don't know these things.
2: <laughs> I love a good conspiracy theory. Yeah,
0: well, that is definitely one.
2: Vikings and Egyptians, they hung out hard. Party. Party.
0: <laughs> Vikings, Egyptians, and aliens. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. yeah Big I
2: mean, bonfire parties on the beach. Exactly. Yeah, it says some fish, guys.
0: <laughs> oh, no. So History,
2: uh, I do it.
0: History. Carol did it. <laughs> 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 well, there you go. Uh, that's it for our patrons and Donut Money donors this week. Thank you to everybody who supported the show in the past and in the present. It helps us to keep do- us doing what we do. And if you want to support us, you can become a, Patreon, a patron at patreon.com slash dark or for a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal nice. at, email, at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take the time to give a like or follow to Dark Poutine on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And here is a promo from our friend, Cambo, on True Crime Island. He's a nice man.
2: He's a nice man from Australia.
0: He definitely is. He has
2: a didgeridoo. too.
0: He, yeah, he probably didgeridoo doesn't. <laughs>
2: No way, Cambo.
0: Anyway, here's his promo.
2: Do you get mad when listening to
3: true crime? Well, so do I. If you want a weekly true crime podcast that says what you're thinking, then grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is Cambo from True Crime Island, another true crime podcast and maintain the rage with me. Visit truecrimeisland.com where you can download or stream each episode. Plus, there's links to iTunes and social media.
2: And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. This is True Crime Island.
0: That was great. Lovely. Lovely. He is a lovely fellow.
2: Yes, he is.
0: So until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye. Bye. <laughs>